Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The views expressed on the following program are not necessarily the views of WIBA, its management sponsors, or staff. Broadcasting live from Planet Madison, where everything is beyond parody. This is the Vicki McKenna Show. To be a part of the program, in Madison, call 321-1310. Statewide, call toll-free at 877-235-1310. Or email vicki at wiba.com. Now, here's Vicki McKenna. And welcome to the program. I am Vicki McKenna, News Talk 1310 WIBA. I am going to try to shoehorn as much stuff. I'm going to try to shoehorn a big fat foot into a shoe size one size too small. That's what I'm going to try to do in the show today. How do you like that analogy? You like that? Does that work for you? So it's working for big, me so far. Sweaty, stinky foot. Wow. No. <laughs> That's something. <laughs> so you foot fetish people out there are probably really excited about this show. And yet we're not going to talk about feet. Um, we're going to talk about things that stink, though. Uh, and uh, so here's what we're going to talk about. The way the city is treating the Madison Police Department, the way the city council is at war with the Madison Police Department, um, you know, it's it stinks, quite frankly. We'll also talk about uh, Representative Devin Nunez's press conference today. He is the chairman of the House uh, Intelligence Committee. Had a press conference today saying, oh, yeah, by the way, I have confirmation there was surveillance of Trump's transition team and possibly the president himself. We'll chat about that. Jim Troopas will be on the show as well. And that Obamacare bill is a big budget buster. So we'll talk about that on the program as well. Paul Skidmore, Alderman Paul Skidmore, it is an, a delight to see you in my studio again. You don't stink, but what we're going to talk about kind of does. Good to have you on the program. Good to be back, Vicki. Good to see you. So I don't even it's, – it's almost hard to figure out how to separate all of this. Um, oh, the, the sort of broad statement I'm going to make is it seems like the city council at least, maybe not you know Mayor Paul Soglin, but it seems like the city council minus you – uh, and maybe one other person is at war with a police department. It just seems like everything is about finding ways to undercut the integrity, the authority, the respect, the trust in the city of Madison Police Department. Everything from, you know, accusing the police of not responding appropriately to the victims at the BP gas station shooting to suggesting the police shouldn't do their jobs at East High School to accusing Chief Koval of, of you know, misconduct in public office, to accusing Madison police officers of hunting people down to kill them. I don't even know how we got to this point. Well, yeah, and then though there's one big item out there that you didn't mention, which is coming up real soon, and that is uh, the council has to vote to authorize reimbursement 
for legal fees for Chief Koval after he's been uh, vindicated by the Police and Fire Commission. And uh, a reasonable person would think that that's a slam dunk because it has been throughout history, but there's some doubt about that. There's some doubt about that. Now, is it for Chief Koval's uh, compensation to have his attorney's fees paid because he was dragged through this process and he was not found to have, you know, you know, accepted next time, don't call someone a raging lunatic, call someone um, something else, uh, you know, but... He didn't do anything wrong. So he was totally vindicated. Totally vindicated. Is it going to take a two-thirds vote of the council? No. Or is it going to take a basic majority vote of the council? No. It's going to take a three-fourths vote, 15 votes. It's going to take 15 votes out of 20 to authorize reimbursement for his $22,000 plus uh, legal fees. So if he doesn't get reimbursed for his legal fees, he's got to find a way to pay his attorney all by himself because a citizen dragged him through a process on what amounted to um, you know, a political vendetta that took months and months and months that ultimately vindicated him. But the next person who wants to do that presumably is going to be able to do that and also uh, drag the chief you know, to the point where he has to hire an attorney. Uh, uh, theoretically, you're, mm. you're right. Um, I'm not sure chief is going to want to go through this again. And secondly, I think some of us are going to be watching because a reasonable claim could be made that uh, he was being harassed. I just went through the uh, city's uh, prohibited uh, harassment and prohibited uh, behavior training, and some of the behavior exhibited uh, against him, uh, I think a reasonable person would consider harassment, which is also a violation of the law. Well, one member of the council actually said that he wanted the chief removed from a council meeting because he was a white man with a gun. Now, I'm not sure if that actually qualifies as harassment, but it certainly is conduct unbecoming to a member of the common council, uh, simply because Mike Koval happens to be white and happens to be a police officer who, of course, carries a gun. That's how crazy it's gotten, Paul. In, in my life, I would have never expected this because I always, and I think I even said this to you once, I always thought that, that the rubber met the road on public safety, and that's where people stop being idiots. And, and I'm going to take that back now because I, I clearly realize that people um, have, have found a reason to, to use the police as a political weapon. Um, on, this, on this Monday night council, um, the subcommittee meeting that was taking place, the council attempted to insert on the agenda, a member of the council attempted to insert on the agenda, um, the lawyers for the Irwin family, uh, Tony Robinson's family, uh, and, and, and wanted them to make their case against Matt Kenny in front of the city council after the city had agreed to a settlement with the insurance company and the family. Uh, not, not quite. Uh, the... Um uh, you're, you're mostly correct that there was uh, an agenda item, number six, on the CCOC uh, committee that's uh, investigating police uh, procedures and policy. It's a five-member uh, committee of alders uh, from the CCOC. It's a sub it's an ad hoc committee that had posted that agenda on Thursday morning, and uh, it was intercepted and it was removed. Uh, I actually uh, became aware of it early, and I pointed it out to the city attorney. Um, and there, there was more to that agenda item, which which did go go through. I, I attended that meeting, and I was appalled. I got to say, I was appalled. Even though the uh, Robinson family uh, lawyers were not allowed to make this presentation or did not make the presentation, it was attached to the agenda and it was distributed. And I think uh, I think you've seen it, and it's uh, I find it offensive. Uh, but but in addition to that, uh, the 
chair of the committee, and the committee uh, voted, and, I, and I've been led to believe that they did this routinely, this committee uh, uh, suspended the rules to allow uh, questions and participation by the public in the discussion and the questioning. So it, to me, that was a, a breach of, of um, uh, rules of order that I've never seen before, and apparently it's been done commonly on this committee where uh, members of the public, and at the meeting I was at on Monday, I was the only person there uh, that was pro-police. So, so this is an anti-police the- committee, and they invite people who want to make statements against the police. Uh, they suspend the rules, and they say, come on up, and you can make you know whatever statements you want. And they routinely tolerate this. And then, of course, what, does this go into the public record? Or what is, I mean, is this actionable? Do they try to then conjure up ideas for ordinances or new ways to spend taxpayer money? Uh, first off, I'm not sure uh, uh, tolerating is a correct word, possibly encouraging, uh, uh, just an interpretation on my part. But this committee will be uh, issuing a report soon, probably after the election. But this will be rep- uh, reported back to the council with recommendations as to what to uh, um, – you know how how to change our ordinances and what changes need to be made and 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 recommendations. Uh, the, the council will be making recommendations to the police chief and the police department. So you're mostly correct. All right. So who sets police policy, Paul? Who sets the police policy? Uh, last I checked, uh, that's under the purview of the uh, Madison police chief. Okay. Police chief sets police policy, um, and the police chief changes police policy. Does now? How does the council operate in this capacity? To do they advise on police policy typically, or is this something new? Uh, the there is one committee of which I'm a member, and there are a number of other members on it. The Public Safety Review Committee can uh, make recommendations. Alders can make recommendations, and uh, uh, we also have ultimate budget authority, uh, but we cannot directly, it's my understanding, we cannot directly set police policy. Mm-hmm. And uh, Probably a good thing. Oh, very good thing. Um, uh, don't get me started on that. Is anybody besides you, um, can you describe any other person on the Madison City Council that you could actually say is supportive of the police? Um. I would not go as far as to say that there are not there are uh, nobody else on the council supports the police in one way or another, but I do know that there are some individuals on the council that are very hostile toward the police department and in particular the chief. Would you say the majority of members of the city council are hostile toward the police department at this point? Uh, no, no, but I think many of them are very silent on their support for the for the department and the chief. Why? Why the silence? Uh, there are so many. There's so many things going on right now that uh, I, I I think some people may be may feel uncomfortable. Uh, I do know that uh, my pro police uh, attitude and the fact that I'm speaking out has pretty well isolated me from the rest of the council. You imagine though, if those silent people had actually started speaking up, and you could all be isolated together, and that might actually you know that that safety in numbers, and then it's also power in numbers, Paul. I also want to say that this is a representative democracy, and I haven't been saying or doing anything that my constituents do not support. So do you all, let, me, let me take a quick break here. Let me come back with Paul Skidmore. We'll have another break here with uh, Alderman Skidmore from the City of Madison Common Council. More on this. I'll be right back. Welcome back to the program. Um, 
So if, if there, there's a, a group of silent alders who don't want to take the barbs, I would, I would say this, you know, then what do you do? I mean, you don't run to become a civil servant to do the safe thing. You run to be a civil servant. You, you, you know, you run in an election so you can represent your district. And, and Paul, I'm just going to say this. I know that you're, you represent your constituents, and, and they email you all the time. You're very communicative, communicative with your constituents. I hear from them all the time. And, and they largely support your position on the police. And I think that's probably true in just about every single district in Madison. So if you've got a, a number of people who are openly hostile to the police, who are trying to undercut the authority and the integrity of the police, who are openly walking up to the line of slandering members of the police force, um, and that's not what the city of Madison constituents want, then that's not representative. That's not that's not representation of the citizens' best interests. And I'm pretty sure that people are far more interested in making sure we maintain adequate public safety in Madison than whether or not uh, you know, Mike Koval we spoke a little bit too tersely to a person who was harassing him on his way out of a city council meeting. Yeah, uh, and you hit it on the head at once again. It's a representative democracy, and that means people have to get out and vote, and they have to have people to vote for. I think it's a powerful statement that only five seats are contested this year. Uh, and and uh, 15 seats or not. I happen to be uncontested. I'm fine with that. I would have loved competition. That's a way you can define a position. But it's not to be. What do we have to do to get more people interested in participating? I don't know. What do we have to do to get more people to understand that on April 4th is the city election? The municipal elections, spring elections are the least, the lowest turnout. Um, the, the, you know, the, the place where your property taxes are impacted the most dramatically is at the local level. You know, they'll turn out for state elections. They'll turn out for national elections. But you'll have 18, 15 or 18 percent turnout sometimes for spring elections unless there's a... Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me. And you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. A hot referendum question or Supreme Court race. You know, you've got oh, their, their police uh, union, Madison Police Union, has endorsed only a handful of candidates, you, uh, Steve Fitzsimmons, who's running in District 10, um, and and Dave Handowski, I think, in District 1, which is my old district. That's my old district. So Mm -hmm. District 1, which still seems to have some rational people left in it, as does yours. So District 10 and District 1 are where the two overtly pro-cop candidates are running right now, and their names in District 1 is, is Handowski in District 1 and Fitzsimmons in District 10. Um, but you I mean that the police union didn't have more uh, more of a slate of candidates that it could put its its uh, enthusiasm behind is pretty sad in the city of Madison. Well, they had twenty to choose from, and I think that's a powerful statement. Once again, uh, I just want to mention that Alder Mike Vivier was the fourth uh, alder who's also running unopposed uh, that uh, has been endorsed, and I really appreciate MPPOA's. Uh, uh, Endorsement. I really appreciate what those guys do every day of the world. They protect our lives, and they're out there all the time. And that, that means a lot, and, and supporting them is very important to them. I can't tell you how much uh, 
you know, the lack of support from the council hurts them and affects them and affects their ability to do their job. How does it affect the likelihood that we're going to keep attracting the type of high-quality candidate to the Madison Police Academy that we have been able to count on for as long as I have lived in this area? The the, the reputation of the quality of candidate that is – that that walks that that takes the first step into the police academy is is considered by by nearly the entire nation standards is exceptional. How do we keep expecting to be able to attract that kind of candidate to become a police officer if the council itself is openly hostile to the police and the police chief, who by all indications it has has widespread and in, in, in almost beloved support from the rank and file police officer? Uh, this may sound like a strange answer, but. The people that really know police know that Madison Police Department is an A1, you know, top-notch department. It's it's respected around the country, and no matter what its detractors say, it's a good department, uh, and uh, that attracts quality people. However, uh, this last uh, retirement class was unusually high, and I know officers who just said, I've had enough of this crap. And I don't want to be subjected to this harassment. And and uh, I can make a better living, um, you know, uh, just by uh, uh, tapping out, collecting my pension, and then you know yeah, maybe even or, going or, to a different department in or, a different city, or, or selling real estate or something like right. that. And that is that is just extremely sad. I had the the the, the pleasure and the uh, I was very humbled to have a neighborhood officer in my district. I won't use his name, but he's a fifth a fifth detail night rider. And a great guy, and I love him dearly, and I found out after chatting with him that he was one of the officers that was shot at uh, by the guy that fired the gun into the ground to to attract officers, and then then he shot at officers. The guy is in prison now. He was arrested. He was convicted. He'll do, I think, at least 17 years. And this guy has the knowledge, this this officer has the knowledge that, that somebody was trying to kill him. How much press did that for no, get? For no How reason. How much did that get? Because he, because he wore a badge. Because he was a cop. Because he was a cop and he wore a badge. No press. How about zero? How, yeah. about, I would, how about me again begging for the news media? Because, you know, from what, I'm, from what I'm told, they're not openly hostile to the police. They just don't want to rock the boat. So how about you do a little boat rocking? I mean, you're willing to rock the boat when Governor Walker introduced Act 10. You're willing to rock the boat when Governor Walker and the Republicans introduced voter ID legislation. You're willing to rock the boat on Donald Trump's, you know, travel ban. How about you do a little boat rocking on behalf of public safety here? Um, you know, this is a nonpartisan issue that has broad support from the community. And a little bit of that, that's why I say two extra bodies on the city council with Paul Skidmore, you, Paul, could be the difference between this madness um, ultimately resulting in bad police policy and dead people or or common sense reasserting itself. And, and the you know, one, two editorials from the Wisconsin State Journal could be helpful. You think? Yeah. And and uh, kind of as a closing thought on, on, on that subject, uh, I've been beating this drum for a long time. And I got to say that I was frustrated for a while. But now I'm seeing a, a, an uptick in some of the uh, the printed media. And I'm very grateful for some of the, the same things that I've been seeing. I've been seeing a couple very, very good editorials recently. And I'm very grateful for that. Not a soul will cancel their subscription. In fact, they might even be able to sell more papers if they start actually engaging in these kinds of community topics beyond, you know, just rubber stamping uh, these stories. Um, but I can't thank you enough. I, I appreciate you sticking it out. Um, but Paul, you're a lifer, Paul. Oh, don't talk to me. You way. are. 
You are, you know, and who'd have ever thought that you and and Paul Soglin would be the, you know, be considered the common sense people in the city? Not, not that I'm cracking on you. I'm actually kind of cracking on Soglin a little bit, but I like him. Um, thanks for being on the program today. I appreciate it. Thanks so it. much. I look All forward right. to the next time. We're going to take a quick break and be right back. By the way, welcome back to the program. I'm Vicki McKenna. Still ahead, how the Obamacare replacement bill could be a budget buster. Mm. Um, and Judge Jim Troopas will be on the program as well. Did you know that the rules prohibiting harassment, uh, you know, ill behavior, uh, discrimination in the city of Madison – Apply to all city employees except members of the Common Council. I just learned that from Paul Skidmore before he left. He said, did you know that? And I said, no. I said, so if if a city council member, you know, says something completely offensive, uh, harassing, slanderous, or uh, discriminatory or anything, I, I as a citizen, even if it were a, a, addressed to me, couldn't file a complaint with the city of Madison. And Alderman Skidmore said no. That only applies to city employees who are not members of the Common Council. And he had, uh, and it was defeated, as I understand. I think he, and with help from Mayor Soglin, had attempted to bring the council members under the same roles and standards that um, other city employees are held to. And it, it didn't go anywhere. Um, you know, and I, when I was making the crack at the end of the segment with Paul Skidmore and I said, who would have thought that, you know, the two people with common sense uh, on the city council were going to be Paul Skidmore and Paul Soglin? I, I should have said not common sense because, you know, both uh, Paul Skidmore has always had common sense and Paul Soglin has these, you know, shocking extended moments of common sense. It's uh, I should say they're kind of considered the conservatives on the council. <laughs> Um, you know, Paul Sogan, the red mayor who met with Fidel Castro, uh, is just simply because he's not completely lost his mind on basic services and economic development. And, you know, the police is uh, is considered, I guess, by uh, members of the hard radical left in, in Madison to be a conservative. Well, I'm just telling the radical hard left in Madison we don't see Paul Soglin at the right-wingers' meetings. He does not know the secret knock or the secret handshake or the code word. And he doesn't have a chip implanted in his dental work where we can send him coded messages. Just so you know, he doesn't, you know, we, we, we're not seeing him at the right-wingers' festivals. You know, he's not showing up at Lincoln Day dinners. Okay? How about that, though? City council members. So when, when the city council member uh, and attacked Mike Koval by saying, get that man out of here. He's a white man with a gun. If somebody had filed a complaint, it would have the, the city would have said, sorry, you can't file a complaint against city council members. So, Madison, you do have an opportunity on April 4th, at least in two districts you do. Well, in Paul Skidmore's district as well, but he's running unopposed. But in District 10, uh, these are both, you know, west side-ish districts, District 10 and District 1, um, you have in District 10, Steve Fitzsimmons, and in District 1, and I have not met the man, but I'm told he is, uh, he's a, a, a solid public safety-minded 
basic services-minded kind of guy, common sense-minded kind of guy, is Dave Handowski in District 1. That's my old district. He used to live in District 1 back in the day. Um, All right, I want to get to a couple of things in this segment. And the first is the press conference that was held today. I I had Fox News on. I flipped it over to CNN to see if I'd get a lot of deep, you know, dive coverage into this, but I, I haven't seen it. Chairman Devin Nunez of the House Intelligence Subcommittee, the the guy who chaired the hearings on Monday, held a press conference a couple of hours ago. And in that press conference, he made a pretty startling declaration. Do we have we ready to go on that just in case we call for that? Okay, pretty startling declaration. And remember, hours and hours, I want to say it was seven hours, somewhere around seven hours uh, more or maybe more of testimony on Monday. And the headline after the testimony on Monday on the, the, the Russia question was that James Comey, FBI, FBI director James Comey, said that he had no evidence that Obama ordered wiretaps into Trump Tower. And that to his knowledge, there is no evidence there were any wiretaps in Trump Tower. Very specific. Uh, and, and that was the headline. You know, Comey says no evidence of wiretapping. Uh, Comey says Trump's tweets wrong. Things like that. Let's have a listen to what Devin Nunez had to say just a couple of hours ago at a press conference. And this is sort of the meat of his statement. Then he took some questions. Here it is. At our open hearing on Monday, I encouraged anyone who has information about relative topics including surveillance on President-elect Trump or his transition team, to come forward and speak to the House Intelligence Committee. I also said that while there was not a physical wiretap of Trump Tower, I was concerned that other surveillance activities were used against President Trump and his associates. So first, I recently confirmed that on numerous occasions, the intelligence community incidentally collected information about U.S. citizens involved in the Trump transition. Details about U.S. persons associated with the incoming administration, details with little or no apparent foreign intelligence value, were widely disseminated in intelligence community reporting. Third, I have confirmed that additional names of Trump transition team members were unmasked. And fourth and finally, I want to be clear, none of this surveillance was related to Russia, or the investigation of Russian activities, or of the Trump team. The House Intelligence Committee will thoroughly investigate surveillance and its subsequent dissemination to determine a few things here that I want to read off. Who was aware of it? Why it was not disclosed to Congress? Who requested and authorized the additional unmasking? Whether anyone directed the intelligence community to focus on Trump associates and whether any laws, regulations, or procedures were violated. So there you have it. So Donald Trump tweets, and he did uh, use quotes around the word wiretap, okay? He tweets about a wiretap, and a wiretap is a very specific thing. A physical wiretap is a very specific thing, and typically we don't have wiretaps anymore because we don't have wired phones or wired communication anymore. But wiretap to law enforcement is a very specific thing. 
So Donald Trump uses the word wiretap, and I think it is completely within the realm of... With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Plausibility to believe that Donald Trump used the word wiretap to 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 convey a general idea that his team was being surveilled, watched, listened in on, bugged, whatever it might be. Sort of a general catch-all phrase like the word spying. But spying has a really specific meaning as well. So when Comey very carefully says, I have no evidence there was a wiretap, I'm sure he's I'm sure he's exactly correct. But he didn't say I have no evidence that there was surveillance. And that's what Chairman Nunez laid out today. He has confirmed that there is surveillance on members of Trump's transition team, maybe including the president himself. And and I should point out and let me say likely including the president himself. Because the news media reported on a transcribed conversation between President, then President elect Trump and the Australian Prime Minister. So, likely, I'm going to say, not Devin Nunez, but I'm going to say, including Trump himself, there is confirmed surveillance of Trump transition team members. And that information has been disseminated widely. In the intelligence community, the identities of the members of the Trump transition team have been unmasked and disseminated widely among the intelligence community and is now making its way in elite capacity to the press. None of it had to do with Russia. None of it had what looked like foreign intelligence value. Yet the intelligence community was collecting surveillance information about the Trump transition team, possibly, I would say, likely including Trump himself. That's your headline. Intelligence community surveilling president's team. No Russia connection found or Intelligence community spying on Trump transition team. No foreign intelligence value identified. Or why is intelligence community spying on Team Trump? No foreign intelligence value identified. Nunez went on, and it was about a 14-minute press uh, press conference, and there were other chunks and pieces of the press conference that were of some value. He went on to describe the length of surveillance was election day, the the, the night of election. It began on, on the night of election to the inauguration. Why? 
He also used the word incidental. Incidental surveillance. Incidental. To what? What was the identified reason why surveillance was happening in the first place when U.S. citizens are involved? Why was the surveillance taking place in the first place? And when U.S. citizens are involved, how were their names unmasked, which is in clear, I think, in clear violation of federal law? This is a scandal that is almost breathtaking. But you wouldn't know it if you looked at CNN. CNN has a panel right now talking about Paul Manafort. That's what they're talking about right now. Not Devin Nunez press conference, but former campaign advisor to Donald Trump, Paul Manafort. That's what they're talking about now. So far, I'm looking at my headlines here. I've got the Wall Street Journal has updated, has uh, put out a, 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 a breaking news alert on the press conference. And that would be it. Everybody else is talking about suddenly they've, they have a newfound interest in the Gorsuch confirmation hearings. That was a story that was buried at the bottom of the pile of news yesterday because the Democrats, after, after what was it? I, I mean, an insane, like 11 hours, didn't lay a glove on the guy. So they buried the Gorsuch confirmation hearings at the bottom of the news pile yesterday. Suddenly, there's newfound interest in the Gorsuch confirmation hearings. I mean, he's just sailing through his confirmation hearings. And, and, and they were blowing it off because he was doing so well. Now they're interested in talking about Gorsuch. The Manafort story is nothing compared to the FBI or CIA or NSA or National Intelligence uh, Administration running a surveillance operation onto the Trump transition team. Yet that's not showing up in my news coverage. They've suddenly found a newfound interest in talking about the Obamacare replacement bill. Conservative news media has been talking about that for a week and a half, but the general cartoon press, propaganda press, hasn't. Suddenly they have found a new interest in this. And of course, you've got wall-to-wall coverage on the attacks at the UK right outside of Parliament today. This is their excuse for not bothering to update their breathless headlines from Monday. Comey says Trump tweets wrong. Comey says no wiretapping. And for the life of me, I do not understand why at this point the administration has not fired James Comey. I I, I don't. And I do not understand why House intelligence subcommittees are continuing investigations when everybody knows that only a handful of people could have had access to surveillance information regarding these specific principles in the Trump transition team. Call them into a room, find out who leaked all this stuff and fire them. And if they've committed crimes, put them on trial. Because what we've got right now is an intelligence community at war with the president of the United States, at war with Congress. And if they're at war with a president, a fairly elected president, a freely elected president and a Congress that is our representatives, they're at war with us. You got to take a quick break and I'll be right back.
of those songs I uh, occasionally pull lines from and just throw down on people. Just trying to make a living and, you know, doing the best I can. And when it's time for leaving, you know, I hope you understand, but Lord, I was just born a rambling man. Anyway, hey, we're coming uh, coming up on the top of the hour here, so I need to take a break for news. Coming up after the top of the hour, we'll talk about the budget. We have to talk about the budget because the Obamacare bill, uh, replacement bill, is huge. Um, also, Jim Troopas is going to join me. We'll talk about Russ Feingold trying to get rid of the Electoral College, the Gorsuch hearings, and lots more. The views expressed on the following program are not necessarily the views of WIBA, its management sponsors or staff. Broadcasting live from Planet Madison, where everything is beyond parody. This is the Vicki McKenna Show. To be a part of the program, in Madison, call 321-1310. Statewide, call toll-free at 877-235-1310. Or email vicki at wiba.com. Now, here's Vicki McKenna. Welcome back to the program. Russ Feingold wants to eliminate the Electoral College because um, uh, I guess he wants to zero out Wisconsin um, ever having a say in presidential elections again. You know, this is a guy who wanted to be a senator from Wisconsin to the United States Senate. And failing that... I guess he's more inclined to show his his true colors, which are, you know, I really didn't want to go to the United States Senate to represent Wisconsin. I actually am really interested in in eliminating Wisconsin from play in a national election because this whole electoral college thing has got the progressives in a bind. You see, they've concentrated their population in cities. That's that's one of their problems in Congress. It's one of their problems. It's why they've been losing seats in Congress. Uh, it's why they're losing legislative seats. Over 935 legislative seats have been lost by Democrats since 2008. 935. And that's because they concentrate their population in cities. And that's where they hold sway. They have Madison in, in Wisconsin. They've got Madison and Milwaukee. Without Madison and Milwaukee, the Democrats have no hope whatsoever of ever winning the governor's seat, which is why in Wisconsin they'd love to have only Madison and Milwaukee count for votes, but it doesn't. Madison and Milwaukee together are not enough to make Wisconsin matter in a national popular vote election for president. There's only a handful of places that are going to matter. Los Angeles, San Francisco, New York City, Philadelphia, Chicago, and probably a city like Miami. Only the largest urban enclaves are going to matter. And the states with the most population are going to matter in a national election. And that's what the progressives would prefer. It Had we gone with a national popular vote and Hillary Clinton was president, I mean, you've seen the map. We've all seen the map. California is blue. 
New York is blue. Illinois is blue. The rest of the state, the rest of the map is red. The only interest that would ever be represented would be the interests of California, Illinois, New York. And that's the way the progressives would prefer because that's what they've done. They've concentrated their population bases in tiny, compact areas. It's why they're obsessed with trying to figure out ways to urbanize suburbs. It's one of the reasons why they they thrill over the idea of force density. They 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 get themselves all all you know misty eyed thinking about things like like the HUD's affirmatively furthering fair housing rule that would have foisted urban population onto exurban or suburban areas. It's why they they delight at the idea of closing off any kind of opportunity for housing development or economic development beyond existing urban growth boundaries. It's why they love urban growth growth boundaries. Because they have to find a way to compete electorally, given that they've concentrated all of their voters, their dependent voters, the voters who love, you know, the cradle-to-grave social welfare state governing style. Uh, Typically, those are the ones who tend to seek out dense urban areas. It's why it's why they, they 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 desperately need to find a way to force everybody to abide by their population population concentration policies. So that Los Angeles and San- Hello, it is Ryan and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They're also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. San Francisco, which by the way are the only two cities that matter in California, they've, they've just de- devastated California. Uh, Madison and Milwaukee. Philadelphia, uh, New York City. They want everybody to have to abide by the sensibilities of people who would prefer a cradle-to-grave welfare state because they've all concentrated themselves in areas where they have governments that prefer a cradle-to-grave welfare state. Well, America doesn't, as you can see by the electoral map, which is why people like Russ Feingold want to make it so that only the states that have the highest population densities matter. And by the way, Mr. Feingold, That would leave Wisconsin out in the cold, begging for spare change. We'll be right back. All righty, welcome back to the program. To the budget we go. The good, the bad, and the ugly of the budget. We actually don't know <clears throat> all of the good, the bad, or the ugly of the budget. We've got some slices, and some of it's good. Um, and then we've got some things that are sort of out just a, a, a day or two on the horizon that, that could be bad. Uh, and on entitlement, when it comes to dealing with entitlements, it, it, it looks pretty ugly. <laughs> 
Brian Riedel from the Manhattan Institute is on the phone with me right now. And I will say it again, Brian, you're the best budget numbers guy in the country. Um, I don't know if that makes you feel good or bad, but, um, but you know, it is, it is what you are. So well, I, I welcome to the show. Be, I wanted to be the best second baseman in Milwaukee Brewers history when mm. I was growing up, but I guess I'll take this. Yeah, I wanted to win the Kentucky Derby, too. So um, so the two of us, a little bit, you know, be, I'm a jockey, and you are um, looking at uh, statistics, which you would do if you were a baseball player. How about that? That is, tr- that is, tr- that is true, um, and, and frankly, a lot of my baseball interest is statistics, and, and, and I, I could have been a baseball GM, I guess, if I'd started earlier. There you go, Brian. Because uh, I do all the, the sabermetric numbers. But, uh, yeah, the, the, the numbers on this budget uh, from the president's, you know, it's only a partial budget. It doesn't address entitlements, which is really the whole ball game. And I think, you know, it's too early to give it a, a thumbs up or a thumbs down until we see the entitlement changes. But on the discretionary side, I think the president took a right step with giving defense a much-needed boost after years of deep cuts and looking to kind of eliminate some of the waste in, on the non-defense side. All right, so let's let's start with the good. You know, let's always lead with the positive. On the discretionary budget, which is a smaller and smaller portion of the budget because more and more um, spending is either entitlement spending or it's, con- it's deemed emergency spending or automatic spending. Um, that's something Congress, by the way, can, can wrestle back uh, if it wants to control more of that. But on the discretionary side, it's not just, you know, tinkering around the edges of programs. It, it gets rid of bad programs. It privatizes programs that have no business being maintained by the government. And it actually does expand some of the stuff that works pretty well. Um, I know that a lot of attention has been paid to the elimination of community development block grants. I mean, people want to pretend that is somehow a meaningful uh, spending item. It's nothing more than a slush fund. Um, but that's one place to start is that, that I mean, he's eliminating programs that have been thorns in, in budget hawk side forever. Yeah, I mean, we've under the Budget Control Act, we've mostly frozen a lot of these programs for the last five or six years. And I think you can argue that you can only freeze programs for so long before you suffocate them, uh, you know, as long as inflation is rising and the population is rising. And so I like the president is saying, okay, we're going to fully fund the programs that work and get rid of the programs that don't work. No more. We're going to freeze the good ones and the bad ones. Fund what works and just get rid of the garbage that doesn't work. And among the programs that don't work are, you, as you mentioned, the Community Development Block Grant Program, which is about a $6 billion fund, slush fund, that goes to state and local governments for things that they would never spend their own tax dollars on. But it's this free money from Washington that just goes for pork barrel projects, uh, silly things that do not benefit community development. And, you know, if, if state and local governments want, want to spend money on these projects, they should raise it themselves. And if they're not willing to pay for it themselves, then maybe it's just right. not that important. Let's be clear here as well, and I think Walter Olson uh, did a nice job on this. Meals on Wheels is not community development block grants. It comes out of a different pot of money federally, and a lot of it is also supported by private donations and state and local um, assessments for that program as well. So this idea that because of one state or two states slid a tiny fraction of CDBG money into Meals on Wheels does not mean Donald Trump is canceling Meals on Wheels. That's exactly right. I mean, uh, meals on Wheels can't even figure out how much money you get from from CDBG. It's so small that on their own website, they're saying, we don't even know how much it is. Yeah, it's it's irrelevant. It, you know, it's again, federally, it comes out of a different uh, 
a fund of mo- pot of money, which we have not seen Donald Trump say he's going to touch that at all. And then, of course, um, you know, private contributions are raised for it and state and local contributions are made as well. So um, he does do he does offload some environmental responsibility back to the states where it belongs. That's excellent. We could get some major, major reform coming out of Scott Pruitt as an EPA administrator. Um, so that on the horizon looks very, very positive. Uh, and, you know, on defense spending, I mean, the idea that we are going to choke off our ability to defend this nation militarily simply because it's a larger item in the budget it, it is absurd. You know, I mean, you, you don't hold back our ability to, to, to fight for America when we need to fight for America, which is not to say that we don't waste money on defense ever. But to say that this is where we're going to get the lion's share of our discretionary savings is silly. Yeah, Dangerous. I mean- People, people who are very critical of the defense budget often do not realize how deeply it has already been cut. Uh, the defense budget is actually down 22% already since 2010. When was the last time anything in the government Nothing. was cut 22%? As a percentage of the economy, it is about to cross over into the lowest level since the 1930s. There is no way you can defend a 21st century uh, country with a 1930s level defense budget. Of course, there's waste. Of course, you know, we, we, uh, there's cost overruns. And, and, and of course, we should hold them accountable. But you get to a certain point when the budget's falling to 1930s levels where you're actually cheating your troops. Because, uh, you know, about a quarter of the defense budget is personnel costs. Uh, health care, compensation for the troops, and a lot of it is just simply keeping them safe in the field. So if you're going to forego the next generation of military technology, what you're saying is that our troops will be less safe in the field than they, than they otherwise have to be. And even if we do the president's increase, it would still be lower than the, it would still be one-third lower than the 50-year average, even, even after that increase. So this is getting us back to a place in defense that makes more sense. Again, you and I are both. In fact, Brian, you're enthusiastically in favor of not wasting money, uh, as am I. Um, but the idea that, you know, that, that this can keep going is, is dangerous. So 22%, though, a 22% budget cut. Oh, there are so many different things I would love to see a 22% budget cut for. I would just like to see an across-the-board 22% budget cut for just about everything, Brian. But it seems to have only landed on the shoulders of defense. Defense gets all the cuts. When we passed the Budget Control Act a couple years ago, um, the sequestration caps, at the time, defense was only 20% of the budget, but it took half of all spending cuts. So that's why it's actually fallen since then. Now it's only about 15% of the budget on its way to 10% of the budget. So this stuff was half the budget under JFK, and now it's gone from 15 right now on the way down to 10. It, it really is rapidly declining. You can no longer blame it for our budget problems. As, as a matter of fact, it's, it's bearing the burden of most of our deficit reduction. Yeah, and it's not – it really has never been really the budget problem. The budget problem comes on the entitlement side, and that's where it starts to get – you know, the, the questions are out there. What is the Trump administration going to attempt to do with entitlements? And when you add to it the, the potential costs of this new Obamacare replacement law – um, I, which, you know, it doesn't eliminate, it doesn't seem like it eliminates entitlements. It seems like it at least nominally keeps the idea of those advanceable tax credits, which could eventually turn into something that's considered an entitlement-like type of spending. Um, you know, it doesn't exactly look like it's changing the calculation or bending that cost curve in the right direction. 
Yeah, you know, I think for for all for all the advantages of of the House Health Plan, it's it's not going to significantly reduce the deficit because it is repeal and replace, and we're gonna it's gonna cut taxes by about a trillion dollars over ten years by repealing all those Obamacare taxes. But it's also going to retain some of some of the savings in order to replace it. So, to the extent the goal is to balance the budget in ten years, uh, this isn't going to be a, a major driver of deficit reduction. Um, but that's just that's just the reality of replacing the law. All right, what do we do? What what really needs to happen? Because we're coming up on the debt ceiling again. Um, our debt is uh, it's, it's immense. It's uh, you know nineteen plus trillion dollars. We have unfunded liabilities that there is no way we can pay for. What could change that could not, you know, in terms of our debt, that could at least give us some breathing space and not have to worry about a debt crisis uh, and maybe even resurrect some kind of, of retirement benefits for people who, who, who expect to get them? Because we're coming up on that moment where you're not going to be able to tell my generation you can't, you know, you can go to a PRA and not have, you know, not c- collect classic Social Security. Um, you're coming up to the point where you're you're going to wrap my generation into entitlement spending as well, and we're not there yet. That's exactly right. We're going to have to raise the debt limit because the only other option would be to balance the budget starting tomorrow, which they're just not going to be able to do. But you know, when you if you're going if you're going to raise a debt limit, doesn't it make sense to at least attach some reforms to ensure that we actually fix the problem, that we're not coming back here a year from now raising it again? And really, the way to do that is to make a down payment on real entitlement reform: uh, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, our health care uh, pr- programs. They're 57 percent of the budget now. They're going to be 82 percent of all new spending over the next 10 years. So ultimately, if you want to avert the multi-trillion dollar deficits that are coming, you really just have to take a look at Social Security and health care. I know they're controversial, but... Uh, but they're 60% of federal spending. And they're, and they're 82% of all the new spending over the next 10 years. And, I, you know, people always come back and say on things like, you know, well, I'm just getting back what I paid in. A person, a couple retiring today on Medicare will have paid $140,000 into the system over their lifetime and will get $420,000 back in benefits. That's three times as much in benefits as they pay into the system, and that's adjusted for inflation and everything. And so the idea that these programs are sacrosanct, they can never be touched for anybody, you're just getting back what you paid in, is just demonstrably mathematically false. In the case of Medicare, you're getting triple what you paid in, and that's why it's going bankrupt. Yeah, if people actually just said, well, just give me what I paid in, you would, you would be, you would say, wait a minute. I, I didn't get what I paid in. Yeah. You're getting so much more that you're, than, than you paid in. This cannot be sustained. The baby boomers have not yet fully hit the system. My generation hasn't hit the system. If we do these types of reforms, and it seems really easy, you, you don't cut people off or in the system or maybe two, three years out of the system or five years out of the system. But you take people my age and you say, listen, it's not going to be there for you. I mean, you know, deal with that. It's not going to be there for you. But we're going to let you set aside your dollars to purchase, you know, long term health care, to purchase, you know, uh, uh, an insurance plan in the form of, of a voucherized insurance plan to have a private re- uh, private retirement account, personal savings account. That makes more sense. And people my generation aren't the ones going, oh, my gosh, you're touch- you don't touch my Medicare because we're not there yet. It, you could sell it to my generation. 
but you have to hurry up because the longer we wait, you will get a, you are. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We're going to have to hit seniors. Once the baby boomers retire, it's too late. Yes. So, you know, Republicans, sooner rather than later. But it doesn't – well, we haven't heard any indication that this is even going to be touched, uh, you know, in this first Trump budget. Um, you know, like so like I said, it's good. It's bad. Some of it's really ugly, but, you know, it still remains to be seen. Great to have you on the program, Brian. Thank you very much. Brian Riedel from the Manhattan Institute. Uh, We'll take a quick break and be right back. You know what I'd like? You know what I'd like, Joel? Like a little ballroom dance music is what I'd like. Okay. Any particular reason? Hmm, heading over to take some ballroom dance lessons tonight. Sure, anything in particular you're looking for? Uh, you know, a little, um, well, let's see, a little... Uh, Anything's a one, two, three. Any, any yeah, a little more. swing would be nice. Uh, I love swing. Uh, let's see, uh, you know, any sort of a Fred Astaire. You know, Sinatra's got a lot of uh, Foxtrot and Waltz songs and... You know, so yeah, anything that kind of gets me in the mood for ballroom dancing. I took, you know, Jim Troopas is in, Judge Troopas is in my studio here. I took dance lessons uh, years and years ago, years and years ago. And uh, I think I, I, I don't think I've forgotten it all, but I'm not sure I remember. It's riding a bike. You know, you know, you know but I haven't had, a, I haven't had anyone to go and just go dancing with. And in fact, the person I took dance lessons with and moved off to San Diego was just a friend of mine here at work. And never wanted to go out and dance. He just wanted to dance for exercise. So he was my, he used to be our news director here. Steve Whitburn was my dance partner for years. Yes. Whitburn was. So tell me this. What was the name of the song, the country western song, when they ask you, you know, when they ask you to dance, dance. I don't know. And it's about life. And it's uh, about, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, you're the country western. I think it's fan. just called "I Hope You Dance." I hope you dance. Okay. See if that is run that one up because it's a it's a great song and dancing. it's by it's Leanne Leanne Walmack. Okay. Thank you. Thank there you. you. Go. We'll play that one too then because yeah. I'm not a country music yeah. fan myself. It's almost uh, not even a country song. It's so we, Jim and I we're going to get into the yeah, yeah. yeah we're going to get into the serious stuff coming up here. But we were just talking about you should know how to do a couple of things in life. And one of the things you ought to know how to do if you're a guy, almost every woman has, there you go. There you go. Has found a way to learn how to dance. Almost every woman, you know, maybe she hasn't taken dance lessons, but she can, she can, she can follow a lead, you know? Men should learn how to dance. Well, you know. Gentlemen should learn how to dance. There are things in life you should learn, and one of them is to dance, dance a waltz, a A polka, a a polka, things of that nature. Go out and fake it, but you got to be able to at least fake it if you're a guy. 
you know, it's not dancing five feet apart from each other. No. Nope. It's holding each other and enjoying that, and it's just wonderful. I I think it's a life skill yes, that you should have. I was embarrassing a group of college students. There are maybe one of them is listening. Who knows? At the Essen House about three weeks ago. It was a Friday night. I love going to the Essen House. Uh, you know, this isn't, I'm not violating some rule here by saying this. I love to go to the Essen House and the polka bands. I love those polka bands. Grew up with them. You grew up with them with your name, you of bet. course. And, you know, we did in my little town and learned how to polka. I mean, everyone's got to be able to polka. And I'm out there poking with my daughter, Sarah, with my wife. And Did Sarah have the four-inch shoes? Of was she course. wearing the four-inch heels? This is the only po- woman I know who can run in four-inch heels. <laughs> and poking. And argue a case before the Supreme Court. That's correct. She's done them both. <laughs> so, so, uh, but there were this group of college kids there, you know, and they're all drinking thus boot and, you know, whatever, and they're drinking a lot. And the girls are all sitting there looking longingly at us out on the floor doing this polka. And I went over and embarrassed the guys at two different tables. I said, get these girls up on – get up and dance. And they go, oh, I can't dance. I said, you're at a drunken beer hall. You're college students. Seriously, whatever you do, it's okay. It's true. It's <laughs> so, true. And, and polka is the easiest because polka is like yeah. reggae. You don't really have to know how to do anything except move up and down with the beat. That's, That's correct. all you got to do. And it's just a – what polkas are just wonderful. And we just came back from Florida – and I, we were at a place, and I took more people out on the dance floor and, and danced with them because their husbands, you know, young guys. Well, I, don't, I don't dance, so I don't do that. You know, and I'm taking Learn. Two, the second thing you should learn, there's two things I think you need to absolutely know as life skills. Number one, if you're a man, is to know how to lead a woman on the dance floor. And the second thing is learn, know how to, learn and know how to drive a stick shift. Just know how to do it. You, yeah. It is a skill you may find necessary someday Know how to do it. Yeah, it's my Corvette, as you know, it only has a stick shift. Yes, so. and, and I, I <laughs> laugh. None of this paddle shifting. I, uh, well, my next Mini, I've got a Mini now, and I it was the only one on the lot. I was looking for a convertible, and it was the only convertible within 500 miles, uh, is an automatic. And so I desperately want the stick shift mini because there's – I drove my friends and they're so much zippier. They're so much more fun. They really get off – yeah, they yeah. It's so, quick. I don't, you know, I don't know the mechanics. It just so in, and I actually know adults my age who don't know how to drive a stick shift. Oh, I think most adults my age don't know how to drive a stick shift. That's I mean, just wrong. I mean – Because you could be in a third world country and the, the cab driver keels over dead. And you've got to drive yourself to the next town for emergency assistance. <laughs> and the cab has got a stick shift. You know? Or, I'm serious. I mean, well, I, I've yeah, been yeah. in a third world country, in the tourist part of a third world country, where the cab drivers were driving stick shifts. And I thought, hey, at least I'll be able to get us out of here if this guy kills over. You know? <laughs> Not that I thought he would. See, this. You he know, looked we, like he may have been. Ha- he may have had a few. Yeah, I, you know. <laughs> that, uh, I hope that your audience appreciates that that um, that that you and I have known each other quite a while, and we tend to get together and do some some of these odd things. Yeah. And I, they're they're listening in on one of those odd discussions, but but an important one again. That and when when we eventually play that Lee and Womack song, you'll understand it's not just about being on the dance floor. Mm. It's about a lot more. That's so, right. Well, See, I always like to start our segments, Jim, with a little bit of um, just, you know, some, some life perspective. Right. Just a little bit. Like the last time you were here, you were, you were talking about canning. Ah, that's the, right. The, you know, I the, 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 yeah, the yeah. art and the, um, the, the, the craft of canning. And so now we're talking about dancing. Yes. You know, simple as that. Yes. And, 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 and those who know me, I mean, I have two things in my background about this. One, of course, I'm Greek. Now, Greek men tend to dance with other Greek men, and I have been known on my pontoon boat out on the lake in Lake Mendota to 
do a little Zorba, you know, we turn it on and it's good. Uh, so, you know, you can do that. But my mother met my father, like, you know, the classic story at a USO dance in World War II in St. Louis, Missouri. And my mom and dad danced everywhere in the world until he literally could not stand up. I mean, it. They danced into in, – my mother died when she was 90. My, they were married 65 years and they danced, as far as I know, every year of their life, even when my mother had to hold him up. And they went on ships all over the world so that they could dance. That's why they went on cruises. I think that's marvelous. I and, think it's marvelous. So, so yeah. I have uh, – yes, I, I purchased I purchased a, a dance package uh, for for my significant other and myself, and it doesn't listen to my show. So I'm not outing myself here, okay. but um, yeah. So okay. that's going to be you know, we're, meet me over on the east side and, huh. <laughs> and so surprise. This, this is our advertisement for for the <laughs> dance studios as well. So. Um, well, I didn't check our auction. Actually, what I, I should do is actually check our auction and see if there's any dance packages up there because maybe I could buy one. Um, but before I do, we're going to take a quick break here. I do want to mention that our Madison bids auction is going on. So if you go to MadisonBids.com right now, I, and I haven't checked, but yeah. there probably is dance lessons on our Madison Bids. But I do want to remind people that my buddy Kaz at Buck Rub Outfitters, something else men ought to learn how to do, I think, is a skill, is, is shoot a bow and arrow. Um, but he put four awesome bow packages up on our Madison Bids, and they're starting at 50% off, including a crossbow package. And a really, really awesome, uh, three really awesome compound bow packages. So please go to MadisonBids.com, MadisonBids.com. Save yourself a bunch of money. We'll be right back. And when you get the choice to sit it out or dance, I hope you dance. I hope you Welcome back to the program. Okay, again, MadisonBids.com, MadisonBids.com. Uh, bid on those bow packages uh, from Buck Rub. They're, uh, I mean, it's Buck Rub, for heaven's sake. Those are uh, Matthews bows, right? They are. Hang on, I'll tell you. We got a, we got yeah. a uh, Bowtech Carbon Icon DLX hunting bow. I've got an entry, entry-level bow. Uh, my compound bow is entry-level. And I also have a recurve. Um, and, and Kaz taught me how to shoot. I never picked up a bad habit. Um, because Kaz, who owns Buckrub, uh, taught me how to shoot. We got a Matthews No Cam HTX. Yeah, Matthews is about as good as it gets. A Mission Menace 2 bow, and then a Striker Solution crossbow, all available at MadisonBids.com. Um, before Jim and I move on to um, you know the, the serious subjects of the day, let's see if I can find dancing. Ah, yes. We do have dance. Uh, let's see. We've got Fred Astaire Studios of Madison. Beginner package, we've got three. Fred Astaire Studios of Madison, beginner package A, B, and C. And uh, so I guess I can say that. That's actually where I'm going. This is the Fred Astaire Dance Studios. So there. Now that I know that they have helped us out in our auction, I can I will divulge very the uh, studio yeah, we're going good. to tonight. So, um, yeah, well, we've got one. Only one has a bid on it. These are, ooh, you, you people don't bid on this? How long is the bidding Guess who's going to bid on this? It's going to be me. You're going to be bidding against if you guys don't get on this. How long is this bidding going? 
Uh, when does the uh, auction end? Yeah, I believe it's tonight at 7. It's tonight right? at 7. Yeah, not much time left here. Okay, you know what? I'm, I'm bidding on one of these packages here. Oh, right now? Uh, absolutely. Well, <laughs> right. I, I will during the break. But, oh, okay. Um, okay. Jim Troopas, let's uh, start with today's press conference that the, that the uh, press doesn't really – I mean, I, got, I turned on CNN just to see what they were going to be covering. And what are they not covering? They're not covering um, the House Intelligence Committee Chairman Devin Nunez's uh, press conference this afternoon yeah. where he confirms – Just blew everything up. Just blew it up. Confirms surveillance of the, of the Trump transition team. Confirms um, it. Really, you know, we all, we all knew it. We all assumed it on, on the right. Um, any of us who've been in Washington were the great saying by um, Truman, if you want a friend in Washington, get a dog. And, you know, it's it's just the truth. And I I was, um, you know, that it is so striking on so many levels. When Trump put it out, he said I was, quote, wiretapped, end quote, meaning surveillance of all types. That's what he meant. He didn't mean, well, of course, you know, you, what, what, explicit wiretapping. The press wanted to put out a paragraph. It's a tweet. But the point is, even if it wasn't that, the point is. They were surveilling the incoming president and his staff. If you don't believe in deep government or whatever, what's the term? The uh, deep state. The deep state. That's the new thing. If you don't believe in it after today, I mean, you should have believed in it before, but you have to believe in it today. You have to believe in it. Now, what's interesting, and there's interesting parallels to Wisconsin here, and I we're not and, and and I wanted to talk about them. I wanted to st- I wanted to start with the FISA process, which is the government giving the government this power. And interestingly, you and I talked about this in two thousand and three or four. Shortly after you went on the air with us, and said this is scary stuff. You need to understand if you give this power. To Dick Cheney and George Bush, someday. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Barack Obama is going to have this power. Now, we didn't know he was coming, but we knew that when you give government power, Government aggregates the power and eventually uses the power against the people. That has happened for 4,000 years. Why do we think we're different? Now, I'm not saying that it was right or wrong in in retrospect to, to do these things. It's protected our country. But let's use this as yet another lesson in giving the government this kind of power. Once they had it, they're going to use it, and that's what they've done here. They've, they've used whatever they needed to do to get information. And then, as they pointed out, as everybody has been pointing out the last couple of weeks, then they circulated it, not to the three people in the investigation. I mean, you have like three people overseeing an investigation, say, at the CIA, right? 
No. Loretta Lynch gets it. Her deputies get it. Everybody in the Justice Department gets it. All political appointees, political hacks. Then on top of that, you're going to give it to everybody at the CIA, everybody at the FBI. Then you're going to turn it over to the White House, National Security Advisor. They couldn't even name all the people who had been given access to the most confidential information about foreign spies and ISIS attacks on our country. They can't even name all the people who are involved. Think about that for a second. We create this court. It's going to be super secret just for this narrow purpose. We're going to be able to do this surveillance on foreign people trying to kill us. And it turns out that Reince Priebus's phone is being transcribed. I mean, think about this for a second. They transcribe the calls of Reince Priebus because Reince is the one who makes the call to the to the Japanese prime minister and says, hey, can you get on the phone? Sure, I'll transfer you to the president. Boom, goes on to the president. Somebody was transcribing it. And then they distributed it. People got it. Then the press got it. I mean, then the press you don't, got you, it. You don't think there's a problem? You're worried about whether the Russians got Podesta's email because Podesta went on a link somewhere like an idiot? You, you think that's an issue when, when you have surveillance of the incoming president by another administration, by the deep state at the CIA and FBI, and that they – and then – it's compounded this week because I we was in my car and I'm listening to this. I had to turn it off. I'm listening to Comey. And here's what I heard as a former judge. Here's what I heard. I'm, I'm, you know, I, I've been there, done that. As you know, I've tried cases everywhere in the world. I have been uh, you know, defended people in the most difficult circumstances, brought some very difficult cases. I'm not naive. And, and, and I know how to parse words, as do other people in public life. And Comey's testimony was the single most expert parsing of words. I just didn't think it would take less than 24 hours to find out that he was parsing words. I thought maybe it take a little bit longer. But in fact, what he was doing was he was answering only a very narrow question about the Russians and whether or not they had in the in, – in, did we do that? Knowing full well, knowing – absolutely knowing – that they had surveilled the incoming president, the incoming vice president, his chief of staff, and everybody else, that they had reports on it. But, you see, he wasn't asked that specifically, so he didn't answer it. And that's the way this works. we got to take a quick break here. Let's get to more of this, because let's, let's actually continue on with this problem after the top of the hour. We'll be right back. The views expressed on the following program are not necessarily the views of WIBA, its management sponsors or staff. Broadcasting live from Planet Madison, where everything is beyond parody. This is the Vicki McKenna Show. To be a part of the program, in Madison, call 321-1310. Statewide, call toll-free at 877-235-1310. Or email Vicky at WIBA.com. Now, here's Vicki McKenna. Welcome back to the program. Again, please go to MadisonBids.com. The uh, bidding is going to end at 7 p.m. tonight. MadisonBids.com. I'm just letting everybody know because uh, I love Buck Rub and they're awesome that those bow packages are up there. 
Uh, only one of them right now, I think, has a bid. I, I took. I went off the page. I went on the dance lessons <laughs> things instead. And um, instead, so let me go. I can go back to archery. Oh no, it's not under archery. What's it under? Hunting. What's where is it? I believe it's under hunting. I was just there a second ago. All right, I'm um, hotels, home automation, kitchen. Oh, there's hunting. Oh, I see. You got to read left to right. Yeah. Usually in lists, I read down and then up and then okay. Um, so let's see. We've got three now have bids on them. Thank you very much. You're. You, in, by the way, when you go and and um, and pick up your bow and get your bow fitted for yourself, if you haven't been to Buck Rub, you're going to say, "Why haven't I been here before?" Because the the indoor shooting range is pretty awesome. It's actually really fun as well if you bring your kids for bow lessons. So they don't get bad habits. Yeah. And I, I basically took a, a kid's bow lesson and didn't develop bad habits. And then you can actually see me on video squaring off against this amazing award-winning, award-winning safari huntress, Anastasia. I don't know her last name. I hate her because she had such pretty hair and she was skinny and beautiful. And then Joel Cleefish. Oh. We were at Buck Rub. We filmed Joel's show and I smoked Joel Cleefish. On the How'd you on do the range, her, though? she beat us both. Well, okay, she she beat us both. But I mean, I I was bo- Joe Clayfish has been hunting for I think like thirty years or something like that. So to you know to beat Joel on the range was was quite a made me happy. It's a, banner, a, it's a banner moment. It was you. a banner moment. He took it well. He I'm took sure it well. he did. So, um, but you know, I, I, have, I haven't shot a deer, but I have gone to the range many times. Anyway, Jim Troopas, Judge Jim Troopas, in my studio. I want to continue on our conversation about the Nunez press conference, which should be blowing up the news right now. We, let's see. We finally have uh, an update at five oh nine, and and here's the um, here's the breaking news headline on CNN. Trump somewhat vindicated by Nunez's disclosure. <laughs> somewhat. Somewhat. Uh, not, no, actually, pretty much entirely. Well, I mean, say completely. I and what Chairman that. Nunez also said was that he's not sure whether Trump himself was also under surveillance. And because we know the media has disclosed information about a private call that he had with the Australian prime minister, the answer is probably, yeah, he was. So here we are with a deep state at war with the administration, a freely elected president, at war with members, with the Republican members, at least, of Congress, at least with the House Intelligence Committee, which is us. That's our representation. That's we, the people, is Congress, um, which means that our intelligence community is at war with the people of the United States of America, Jim. Well, it means, yes. It, what it means is, is that government employees view their role as something other than employees of the government, that that somehow of the people, they, that somehow they get to make independent decisions about right and wrong, and their views are more important than those views of the chief executive or of the Congress or of the courts. Or of are we the people. Yes, and it's just a – it's an astounding aggregation of power. But I want to remind your audience – of what happened here in Wisconsin. It's as if I'm watching the entire Wisconsin play redone in new form in Washington, D.C. Because you may remember that during the height of the Act 10 uh, riots, the government employees 
and the MacGyver Institute demonstrated this. Government employees were regularly on government-funded computers sending emails, organizing protests, sending things to legislators. In fact, we even— By the way, also conducting investigations. We we even had members of the Department of Justice advising state senators on how they could evade capture by going to Illinois and not violate the law. Government lawyers giving independent advice— to people who would not do their job, who were intending to destroy government as we know it, and they were providing them advice. And those people still have their jobs. Nobody got fired. I mean, all these employees that did that, they're all working. Good point. You know? By the way, what, 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 what people f- tend to forget about the Act 10 uprising and the senators fleeing is that they denied the citizens of Wisconsin a a functioning government while they were gone. We couldn't function as a government while they were gone. There was a, quite literally a constitutional crisis created when those senators fled. It wasn't all fun and games. Furthermore, beyond that, with the government employees f- actively um, organizing to undercut Governor Walker and the Republicans and assisting the Democrats in doing that on taxpayer time and taxpayer money, you had another uh, realm of the government, the, ju- the, the the judicial realm of the government in Milwaukee County, with an assistance from the Dane County District Attorney, in illegally investigating conservatives because they didn't agree with their position or Governor Walker's position or the Republicans' position on policy. We had the deep state operating in Wisconsin that would have never been exposed, but for someone like Eric, Eric O'Keefe, O'Keefe, who came forward. Well, and you know, I, I give and I give uh, Senator Fitzgerald great credit. I mean, you know, I, I I think you know, there's these sort of unsung heroes in this, and and I'm not taking anything away from Governor Walker and the magnificent work he's done, but there were these unsung heroes, the two of whom you've just I've just mentioned, Eric O'Keefe. And Senator Fitzgerald. I mean, between the two of them, they stood there and took it in different time periods, slightly different time periods, but the same battle and didn't give in. They 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 you don't know how frightening that is, how difficult that was for our senators, not just Senator Fitzgerald, but all the senators that remain, the Republican senators, to vote their members in contempt and essentially order their arrest. That's what brought this thing to an end. And Eric O'Keefe's willingness later to stand there and defend these people who would otherwise have had no defense. Oh, and and by the way, risk jail for doing it. So what the the deep state wants to do to the Trump administration – is get them to back off. This is this. That's what they want them to they do. Are, they want they them are, to back off. They are at precisely the same point, aren't they? As Governor Walker in his first year, you don't win that battle in the first year. Governor Walker doesn't win that battle in the first year. We're not having this discussion at all. Trump isn't president. Nothing's happened. Nothing changes. Walker stands there. He takes it with Senator Fitzgerald and others. Brave, brave people. They 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 take all of the abuse. Then more people take abuse through the, the, the investigations in which we just talked about. If they don't do that, nothing happens in Wisconsin. We don't control both houses of the legislature. We don't control the governorship. We don't because the people would just say, Well, I guess it's just 
it's usual. That's the way it is. People respect the fact that Donald Trump has been elected as an outsider. Even those who do, who, and, and and you and I, you know, whatever our views are about Donald Trump, we can certainly appreciate that he is an outsider, and insiders don't like outsiders. He's shaking it up, and he gets it. I think I will find out in the next couple of months because he's got to stand there and take it. And they hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You have to just push back and push back and push back and don't give up. It's going to get worse before it gets better. It'll what, get much worse. What 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 Ban- Bannon said at the at the conference, the, in the CPAC conference, you know, he said, we know we're in this. We know this is a, ba- a battle. We know they're going to fight us on everything. We know it's going to get a lot worse before it gets a lot better. That's the attitude. And our squeamish Republicans have got to get some backbone, get some backbone. Um, and it, it's it's like tomorrow's vote on, on the health care bill. The answer is yes, you pass it. Why? Not because it's perfect or anything else. It's because if you don't, you are telling the president of the United States and the people of this country that your values in Little District, Arkansas, are more important than making this change. By the way, and, the, and I think this will pass, but ultimately it's going to get changed in the Senate as well. So, I mean, come on. We're a long way from but, the end. But, you know, the difference, and I've said this as I was watching all of these uprisings, and I said – some weeks ago, I said, we've seen this movie. We know how it ends. Yes, we do. We know how it ends, assuming the Republicans stand up, shoulder to shoulder, unified, because that's that was what made the difference in Wisconsin. At the beginning, the Republicans didn't want to do it. A whole bunch of them wanted to defect in Act 10. A bunch of them did. Sure. It was, they were ultimately pushed to the limit, I think, when the senators left. I think that's when they all said, you know what? Whatever discomfort I had with this, this is crap. This is the people of Wisconsin elected us to do this. Governor Walker was elected to do this. We are going to do this and we're going to do this together. And it made all the difference. So if the Republicans in Washington need uh, an object lesson, look to our state. We, 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 We gave you the roadmap here. Hang on one second, Jim Troopas, and I'll be right back. Something else on this. We'll get to the Neil Gorsuch confirmations coming up here. Um, something else, and, and Jim and I were just talking about this. You made a great point, Jim, and that was, you know, some of the folks in the press and the left-wing, you know, Twitter babblers out there are saying, well, Trump can release all of this. Not really. Not really. Number one, if it is an ongoing investigation, it doesn't matter. I mean, if it's an ongoing investigation, he can't release it. Number two, he doesn't want to be anywhere near this. 
He doesn't want to be anywhere near um, informa- you know, specific information um, because then he will be accused of pressuring people and intimidating people. And, you know, even though the headlines aren't going to reflect that well, for him. The, the press him, would be all over him if he did that. Yes. I mean, in fact, today, think about the hypocrisy here. They're saying on the one hand, well, you could just release it. And on the other hand, the press reports today were effectively, well, Nunez shouldn't go to the White House and tell them anything. Well, which is it? You should you should know it all or you shouldn't know anything. I mean, him coming out today and saying this was an obvious reaction to the perjurous testimony over the last several days in the Congress. I mean, that there was nothing, that there was nothing, there was nothing, giving the impression there was nothing because... By the way, that does that qualify as perjury, by the way? No, because it's... No, it's co- technically not. No, no, it's not. And, and that's the problem but here. But it functioned that way. It absolutely. functioned as, as providing an entirely opposite impression and perception. Correct. About what re- about re- what reality was, which is why Nunez's press conference today should have been like an A-bomb, a political A-bomb going off in the Washington press corps. And yet, you're, you'll, you mark my word, I've already been, I sign up for all the breaking news alerts. You're not seeing the magnitude of that press conference today and the, and the information disclosed by Devin Nunez it's, reflected it's not, in the headlines. It, this is not about a tweet. This is about... The deep state surveilling an incoming president and his administration in order to get information that they can eventually use against the incoming administration and the president. It's the they, it's they, they the were, John Doe they on not, writ large. I mean, seriously, they weren't gathering information about contacts that these people were having. So because the these other people were having contacts with them. No, they knew perfectly well that the more information they could get, the more they could compromise the incoming administration, and they would eventually do precisely that. That's why the Trump people throughout the transition kept saying, we don't really trust the CIA. We really don't think they're really that. Because they saw this coming. That's the story. An incoming president and his staff have got to be inviolate. They cannot be touched in any way. They cannot be surveilled. They cannot be surveilled as part of a secondary or primary investigation. He's the president of the United States. He is the head of the executive branch of government. And they were spying on him. And they may still be. For all we know, this may still be going on. We don't have all of the information. I can't help but but think about the parallels at the state level to the John Doe, yes. the selective leaks of information by the prosecutors, the the you know the information being gathered solely for the purpose to embarrass Scott Walker, to embarrass somebody associated with him, to embarrass Scott Fitzgerald. They went after members of the Senate in the, in the state of Wisconsin. They went after the governor. They went after they went after his his legal team. They went after private citizens. All to try to undercut the ability of Governor Walker to govern and the the ability of the legislature to legislate. Do not be naive. Do not be naive. We have seen this act before. And we saw it before Act 10 in 4,000 years of government people give them power they will use it. They will abuse it. They will take control. And they will not give it up easily. No. And that's what's going on here. It is a scandal. We Today, you got confirmation of a scandal. It has zero to do with whether it was tweeted about a wiretap. It has everything Correct. to do about the government inside the government 
attempting to bring down the incoming administration. And that is because the incoming administration is an outsider. Correct. That is why. Because in, in, when, when, when you hear the phrase deep state or the administrative state was Bannon's phrase for it was the administrative state. This is the permanent class of government. This is your permanent government. And if the permanent government, this is the permanent government striking back. They're the bureaucrats. They're the ones you can't vote in. You can't vote out. You can't get them fired. You can't do anything. You little, you know, Joe Blow in, in BFE, Wisconsin, you can't touch those guys. You can't touch anyone at the CIA or the FBI. And in fact, because of the way the law is written, members of Congress can't. They essentially function as a super government that cannot be thrown out. That's not the that's not what our founders intended. That isn't government of the people by the people for the people. That's government of the people by the deep state for its own purposes. It's um it it is a truly a scary day. We keep talking about this as if you know it, it, it's surreal. It's surreal. Yeah, and, because when, when you and I, I, I've, I no doubt you probably have the same reaction as I did. As you're listening to this, you're thinking, wait, wait, whoa, whoa. Am I hearing what I'm hearing? Am I misunderstanding? That what, what what Chairman Nunez is saying? Am I am I am I mi- no? You didn't miss it at all. If anything, that was the only downside of this press conference is because it was so direct, because it was so blunt. You're almost tempted to think that can't be real. Well, I quit. I can't, this can't possibly be real that the president's being spied on. And quit by the government. And quit listening to these excuses. Oh well, it was probably legal. Okay, what's that got to do with anything? You're surveilling it, the incoming president of the United States and legal. you found a judge the same way the prosecutors found a judge before. They're, what's right and what's wrong and the purposes of this were to intimidate, to ultimately get what they, the insiders, wanted from the incoming administration by compromising the people – in that administration. By the way, the John Doe adv- investigators got a rubber stamp, a couple of rubber stamp judges. They sure did. And at the end of the day, when it was all exposed to the light of day, um, it wasn't legal. So you might be able to find a judge willing to rubber stamp your BS warrant, oh. you know, wa- surveillance warrant. But, you know, the, the, uh, Eric Holder got a judge to rubber stamp his, his surveillance warrant of James Rosen. Didn't, ter- didn't make it legal. But why not? Everybody kept their jobs. Nobody paid damages. Who cares? And who's going to pay the price for this today? Hang on one second. I've got to take a break for news. Please remember MadisonBids.com going on until 7 p.m. Um, you can save up to, I believe, 60% is the, is the biggest amount of savings. So uh, go bid high, bid often. You've got till 7 p.m. All righty, welcome back to the program. Judge Jim Troopas. Please remember MadisonBids.com going on right now. I was just looking at all the different categories, Jim. Hunting, limousine services, a motorcycle. I'm going to check out the motorcycle. Let me just see what the motorcycle is. Oh, it's actually two motorcycles. Uh, Engelhart Power has a 2014 Honda CTX 1300 and Mishler's Harley Davidson, a BMW 2005 K1200 S. K1200 S. These are badass looking bikes. Can I say that? They are Oh yeah, tough oh, looking bikes. Definitely acceptable. Uh, definitely acceptable. So, um, so motorcycles. Um, there's a car. There's a Subaru. I think there's a Subaru Forester. 
uh, that's that's being <laughs> – I'm serious. Wow. Bicycles. I'll bet you – let's see. I bet you we got – There's range we, time. I was going to say, I bet you Crazy Lenny's e-bikes has a certificate up there, and sure enough – they do an easy motion xenon electric. Bike. I've always wondered about those electric. I know, bikes. me I, too. You know, I kind of wonder about them. He, I that's why want he keeps one. saying he keeps just come in and try them because he's got to get you to try one. It's, that's I, what he know. says. And in, in fact, um, um, when Brian Shimming used to host the Saturday uh, business show, and Crazy Lenny would come in, he calls himself Crazy Lenny still. Yes, right? Crazy I, Lenny. I, I, I don't know. We still Lenny used to come in and he'd say to Brian, he'd say. Just, just if I can get them in the store and they can get and get them on one of the everybody loves these things. If, if he, you if, just got to ride crazy, one. If Crazy Lenny can't sell you, no one can. Well, yeah, <laughs> they just look super cool. And and now that I've I've heard that the batteries give you much greater distance than they used to in the past, I've been thinking about it. There you go. There you go. So I got a motorcycle. I you know, but I'd like something a little bit more toys. of a yeah, all these yeah. Toys, I, right. a little more a bop around kind of thing. There you know, you, go. So you got to back the bike out. It you know, it weighs nine hundred pounds, and so sometimes you don't want to hassle with it. Exactly. Right. I, I just don't want to. I just don't want to pedal either. Uh, and sometimes you do, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So we got food and beverage, vacation, golf, furniture, outdoor, indoor kitchen and bath, mattress, um, stuff for your office, photography services, musical instruments, um, gifts, jewelry, cosmetic procedures, Christmas stuff. I mean, <laughs> I can't go through all the categories because then it would take to the end of the show. Um, you, you know, there's a professional lighting service that will actually do your, your holiday lights and then take them down. And they, you know, oh, I got, I got, I have to check this out after, but it only got an hour after the show. I know. I, I've been gone the last three weeks. So I had no idea. Auto detailing. Uh, I might have to bid on one of those yeah, too. I could use that. I'll tell you. Madisonbids.com. Madisonbids.com. So, um, and dance lessons. So, Fred Astaire yes. dance lessons. That's right. So, we, and there we, are now two packages that have bids on them. There's one remaining package of dance lessons that does not have a bid on it. There you go. Yeah. So I'm just saying you're going to get 60. This is a 60% savings. You know, All right. And everybody should know how to dance. I agree. Uh, so I think there's some grandmas out there that should buy that for their grandsons. Right. Uh, you know, maybe yes. that would be a wonderful thing. Buy the dance lessons for your grandsons. Just tell them, no, nope, this Their is, girlfriends will be thrilled. That's correct. Or yes, their wives yes. will be thrilled. Yes. All right. Um, so. I want to talk about, because we haven't had a chance to discuss um, the Gorsuch. Which was going to be our topic nomination. today, but, but right. as is happening uh, as news is happening of the sheer magnitude of uh, determined, as we've been talking about, you just have to go there first. I mean, isn't it funny? We haven't talked about the terrorist attack in London, yet another terrorist attack. And and because, I, I mean, I hate to say it, but it's becoming commonplace. And that's too bad. It's horrible. It's horrifying. Um but you know, Europe, world, Europe, Europe is also take, sowing the seeds of its own problems. They, they, they didn't take it seriously for so long, and now they've got those problems. And here we are in the United States, you know, and people are actually discussing making sanctuary cities. When you saw what happened in Maryland yesterday, where a fourteen-year-old girl was raped in a bathroom, brutally raped in a bathroom of a high school by an eighteen-year-old illegal who had been let go by Obama and his people, and then he comes and was enrolled there. as a freshman yeah, in a yeah, Maryland yeah. high school. And and, and 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 here you have Maryland. Literally, that county, which is Rockville, right outside of Washington, was had a resolution which say we're going to be passing unanimously to make the county a sanctuary county, and then this happens. Probably not going to pass, but it just shows you the left simply will not look at reality. Ever. 
it's just reality. That's by the way count. in Europe, it, it's an immigration problem that they've got in Europe. It's an immigration issue. It's a failure to demand assimilation for their new immigrants. And it's a failure for anyone to put their foot down and say, we're, we're cutting it off at this point. Um, and we're going to we're going to rethink our policies and, and make our policies about assimilation. That's what's happened in the United States as well. You're unwilling to say that the British society, its parliaments, its courts made the world a better place. And that they're proud of that and that people need to accept that and that we're going to make this the model for the world. They're unwilling to say that because somehow that would offend somebody. Well, we are, too. Yes. Well, the Trump administration isn't. Isn't isn't fine. You know, it's a breath of fresh air. But, you know, but to, to, to Britain in British Parliament, it did make the world a better place because it gave birth to the idea of the United States in the first place. That's, that's, so I that's... definitely think we've made the world a better but, place. But, but that's what – which leads us then to the discussion – truly does lead to the question of, of the Gorsuch nomination. So here we have unquestionably a man who is qualified to be on the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, if you watched any of the hearings, uh, it's been you know a magnificent display of, of, um, of uh, intellect by Judge Gorsuch. And honesty by Judge Gorsuch. He said several things that the Trump administration didn't want to hear, uh, but he said it because it's, in his view, what he believes. Uh, criticisms of the courts, you know, he came down very strongly against. Um, on the question of gay marriage, he said simply it's settled. Uh, no one knows where he's going to come out on right to life, although we certainly hope we do. Um, and when asked whether they had asked him about any of the right to life issues or the like, he said, had they asked, I would have walked out. Um, this is a strong man who is a intellect, who has all the qualifications to be there. Now, why did I say all of that? I didn't say about his political philosophy or his, his philosophies of judicial. Because last night I'm listening on Fox News and there is Senator Schumer saying we won't have a single Democrat cross the aisle on this. And I'm thinking – what happened? What happened to our government? What happened to the left? I mean, you're nominating someone for the United States Supreme Court. The president has that prerogative. This person is unquestionably qualified. No one's suggesting otherwise. Then he goes on the court. That's the advising consent role. That's what senators are supposed to do. That's what senators have done since the founding of the republic. They have voted for people that they did not agree with but agreed were qualified to be judges and that they had demonstrated their impartiality and their commitments to judicial Including Republicans voting for liberal judges and Democrats in the past voting for conservative judges. Every one of the present left-leaning judges on the United States Supreme Court got substantial support from Republicans. Because no matter whether you liked Sotomayor or not, and I certainly did not, and I thought she was disqualified by her – by things she had done. Nonetheless, a fair number of people said she was qualified and therefore they voted for her. Now you have the Democrats saying, well – He's no, obviously well qualified. We're not going to vote for him. Because he's nominated by Trump. I mean this is – so we have a breakdown of basic institutions going on in front of us when – Schumer can say that with a straight face. Now, maybe when it's all said and done, that won't be the way it is. But it was distressing. I would like to know at what point did the Democrats decide they were no longer going to uphold the United States Constitution? 
and no longer believed in the institutions of American government? I would like to know because that's where they are today. No, the people who control that party certainly are. They certainly are. We'll be right back here. Judge Jim Trebus and I will wrap this up in just a moment again. MadisonBids.com. You can bid until 7 p.m. tonight. Welcome back. You know, that question that I asked at the very end of the last segment, when did it become that the, that the parties in America were about, you know, the Republican Party and, and some of the Republicans are very fantastically fans of, cons- of the Constitution. Um, some of them, you know, more or less. Some of them you know, sort of moderate. Um, but when did the entire Democratic Party become the party that if it's good for America, if it's, you know, if it, if it upholds the rule of law and the Constitution, that it's bad? I, I, I read a column, and I think it was in Salon. It may have been Slate. Forgive me. I, I get my S, uh, my S <laughs> websites, my left-wing S websites messed up sometimes, where the writer was arguing against Gorsuch's defense of religious liberty. Against the defense of religious liberty, saying that that you shouldn't give deference to people of faith to practice their faith in the United States if it gets in the way of social justice. And it was it was so intellectually vacuous, Jim, that I couldn't believe anyone thought to write it down. And yet there it was. Well, all of these thumbs up comments by the left wing, you know, readers of that website. And I thought. Um. What if we did that with people who are Muslim? What if we applied your, um, you know, your your new uh, anti-religious liberty beliefs to people who are Jewish or Wiccan or atheist? What if we actually do do this? And and since we don't uh, we don't agree any longer that we have natural rights. That's what our Bill of Rights is. It's not a bunch of you know guys who got together and said, this is the rights we will grant you. These are the rights that are granted to us by a higher power. Can't touch them. Inviolate. Um, when we get rid of that idea, then we just are beholden to the whims of the mob. Well, the, I, I asked um, a couple of members of our State Department of Justice who clerked on the United States Supreme Court, and I was having a discussion with them over breakfast a while back. And I, and I asked, what is the philosophy of the other members of the court? I mean, articulate for me what their philosophy is. And I got blank stares. They said, but there isn't any philosophy. It's simply what, how they think the case should come out given the present circumstances of what we face in America. Well, then the court's not the court anymore. And, and, and when Gorsuch was explaining very articulately several times during the hearing, he's, he's had to articulate. He said, well, originalists or textualists, whatever you want to call them, are people who believe that not uh, – do not look to the outcome but look to the words and what did the words say – and what do the words mean? Because otherwise, a person in Kansas cannot know 
what the law is because he will he will have one opinion of the way the law should be enforced as opposed to somebody in New York. So so you can't have that. That's why the words have to have meaning. That's why in contract law we look at the contracts. And in this country we made a contract that was our constitution. When you came here, you signed on the bottom line that you would abide by this contract, the constitution. It was passed by all the states and it can't be revoked. You can't go back on it. And that constitution has words that you agreed to. You can't change those words because you don't like them. They don't change over time. They are what they are, and there's an amendment process if you want to change it. I wanted to make two points about what you just said in your opening, Vicki. Shared values. Do we have shared values anymore? I always talked I, – I taught a, taught in high school, as you know, and I, and I taught – I created courses for law in high schools. And as you know, I've done other teaching. And, and I always talk about America as the place you want to go to an inauguration because at that moment, we, we voluntarily pass power to the next person and it is a civic religion. It is a religious ceremony of an American society. Does that really exist anymore? Do we share that values when all the Democrat senators from the state of Wisconsin will flee the state rather than participate in the democratic process? Second, think about the – that we don't debate things anymore. The, 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 the art of discussion, the art of explaining why you believe that which you believe – and then attempting to persuade another person to your view literally doesn't seem to exist anymore on places like college campuses. It's, it's, a, it's amazing that this vigorous debate that used to occur on, on college campuses to a great degree and then in our legislatures doesn't appear that we have the skill set to do that anymore. I always like watching Jonah Goldberg. I mean, he goes on to campus. He's done this for a long, long time, just as William F. Buckley did, where you have opposing views on the stage, and each presents it, and you see where it goes. But but here we have Middlebury College, where they literally beat up the liberal professor for apparently bringing a libertarian to their campus. I mean, how does this happen? And, and by the way, how does Middlebury College and the prosecutors not, A, throw those students out, and B, put them in jail. Because until we do that at the University of Wisconsin, when they shout down speakers, kick them out of school, and put them in jail, it's going to continue. It'll we, get worse. We either have a value system that values free speech, or we don't. And the administrators at this college, the college lawyers, should, uh, the legal counsel there should be advising them, these students need to be suspended immediately and they need to be expelled permanently and their and what they did needs to be forwarded to the DA and to the US attorney for appropriate action because a college campus is an institution of learning and if you're going to stand in the way of learning learning to debate learning to defend your views if you're going to shut down speakers you must not be allowed there. 
you must be expelled. But we see none of that here. We see none no, of that. Every, you, you can see the results of this, you know, unlearning of liberty or unteaching of liberty. And some of the questions that were being thrown at Neil Gorsuch and, and the pay, he was so patient. And, and I mean, there, there were some moments where you almost wondered if he was if he was tempted to chuckle. <laughs> I'm sure um, he was. I'm sure he you was. Know, but, but, um, but this hearing, he will be approved. It's going to get through. Thank goodness we have a majority. Uh, let's see if he gets some Democrat votes because that it will. It, it is a, he is a man who should get close to a unanimous. Just just remember, you are you are seeing play out what could have been had Donald Trump not won. That the Democrats are showing you exactly what they had in store for America. We are out of time. MadisonBids.com. You still have oh, about an hour and three minutes left. MadisonBids.com to bid on awesome items and save up to sixty percent. See you tomorrow. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.